You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, White Sox fans, it's Brett Valentini here hosting Southside Sox podcast number 36. And I'm here with Bill Meinke. We're not best friends because I've just got to know him. But don't worry, Robbie, Bobby, Bobby, Coco, Coletti. I will not steal him away from the Big Blurt podcast. Yes, it is right. Bill Meinke from the Big Blurt. Welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. This is, this is going to be a blast. I'm excited. Now, originally, we were also going to have your partner in crime, your new partner in crime, fellow Southside Sox podcaster and writer, Will Allen, who you were with at the ball game last night. That's right. Uh, and who uh, one of you, I think it might have been Will, but one of you sent in a photo that we ended up just putting on our game thread. So you guys were the, the stars of our game discussion. And, well, I guess... Part of the reason why we put this together and why I even tried to get in touch with you, you know, a week or so in advance when I heard you guys were going to the game was, hey, you guys are going to be the first guys breaking the tape on any sort of ball game attendance. I know we got at least one regular commenter who's going to be at the home opener and probably the whole uh, home slate. But as far as I know, nobody else on staff, obviously, has gotten to a game. So I guess the first thing is, uh, what was the experience, you know, like for you guys? How different was it? Uh, how good was it to be back? Well, first of all, I will say that hands down, the best, the best to be back in a baseball game. Like this is you. It's such a feeling that uh, I don't think I'll ever experience before because hopefully we don't have to go through a pandemic or anything like that. But uh, just arriving at the stadium and seeing seeing people walk to the gates and showing their tickets and going through security, which was 
very light there, but just walking through and just having the smell of hot dogs <laughs> hit your nose and just seeing people yell and, and, and scream and, and batting practice was going on when we arrived. Uh, it was honestly, it felt, it felt good. And it felt, we both kind of looked at each other and we're like, this is the best. This is very cool. And this is, a, this, that was our first time both going into Angel Stadium. We had not been there. We had only driven by before, but they have the two giant hats out front, the base, the big baseball yeah. bats. And, but just walking in, you're like, this is great. And of course, of course, in Southern California, there was tons of Sox fans there too, yeah. which was even more amazing. Just, just walking in and saying, go Sox. So there's only 9,000 fans. Altogether. Yeah. It's funny that people consider Anaheim to be this house of horrors for the White Sox. And I understand the regular season, it's been rough, including that series, which we will discuss in greater detail, including in greater detail last night's game where you were seeing it live. But, you know, you can't get too uppity about Angel Stadium, given that there's some really, really sweet 2005 memories there. So, you know, you, you sort of got to put to the side this idea that, oh, my God, every time we find a new way to lose in some kind of exotic manner in the regular season, because, geez, it's got to be near and dear to all our hearts, given the fact that, Pretty nice run out there in the ALCS. Uh, yeah, I that was one of the first things I thought of too. Is just that that 2005 series, and I was wondering if they held any animosity throughout. But but they were pretty quiet. I mean, there was maybe a few a few hecklers here and there, but but uh, and obviously we didn't show up for more than half the game. So uh, we had they had nothing to heckle us about. Yeah. But. Uh, I will say those were, I was like wondering, I'm like, are they, is anybody going to bring this up that, you know, over, over a de- or almost 15 years ago, uh, the AJ Krasinski dropped his strike or anything like that? <laughs> was there anything that was, uh, like, off-putting or, or negative about the experience? I mean, obviously the overriding excitement of just getting to a game is going to be pretty cool, but was there what was there concern about people uh, in the park, maybe not, you know, adhering to, to masking or was there anything that flagged you like, Oh, hmm, I don't know. Uh, so Will and I discussed this too, uh, even on the way home, there was, it was hard being there with masks on and separated from people. And there was a lot of people that were just switching seats and people with masks below their nose <laughs> and all that stuff. So, you had to you had to scan a QR code for hot dogs and mm. for drinks, so you couldn't go up to the to and pay with cash or anything like that. Uh, it was different. It was different. Obviously, you're so happy that baseball, you're watching baseball live. This is one of the coolest things ever. Just you know, seeing a game for the first time in almost two years, uh, and then getting there and just kind of. But the, but it was different, and it it did suck that you know this was not this was under different circumstances than before. Um, again, like I said, there's only 9,000 people there. They were pumping uh, audio, uh, uh, like audience sounds through the speakers. So anytime the angels came up to bat, they would have audience sound. And uh, of course the regular crowd would be like cheering, and, but it wouldn't sound, it would just sound like a, like a regular, cla- like one person clapping when they come up. So like, yeah, that they were pumping. They were pumping that noise, and it, we were sitting right behind, right in front of the speaker too. So it was even worse for us. But uh, but you couldn't. There were Sox fans all around us, and when the Sox got their their four iron runs, uh, you couldn't. We couldn't high five. Of course, Will and I high five, but uh, the the Sox fans right next to us, you're kind of like, 
you can't like you can't like do the high five which is obviously a great thing you don't want to be touching hands but it also felt very strange because that's what you know when you're at Kinesphere at the celebrate drenching rate I call it all three things um you want to be able to like go up and high five and say like go socks and like you know jump up and down with the people you don't know but obviously here it's a different story Clearly, you are not faking your excitement to be back. If you guys were high-fiving over unearned runs, you guys were excited to be back. There's no doubt about that. Let's talk about how bizarre that was. I was foreseeing, I think I even tweeted, I was foreseeing extra innings, runner on second, socks bottom over, sacrifice fly in. So that's three singles in the game, five unearned runs, and then you know you got to close them out because I just wanted to see a game that Probably has happened, but I cannot imagine it's happened many times. But just the fact that the offense was, I mean, clearly the offense did not know you and Will were there. That's true. Uh, we got a couple waves from uh, Luis Robert, though. He, he pointed at us, and we were very <laughs> excited about that. Uh, he did not show He did not show up at the play, though. They, no. they looked, I mean, yeah, I think it would be the first time ever, right? A team gets five on their runs and could win a game, which I think, especially on three singles. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's it's weird that Billy Hamilton was was <laughs> one of the guys that got those singles. I mean, watching those guys, it was clear that they they could not figure out which way the ball was going when it was being thrown. I mean, any any changeup, any slider that was thrown. They swung and they missed. Uh, Abreu did a couple times. Uh, Luis Robert looked awful when he was swinging at these sliders. And it was first pitch fastball, and then the next three pitches were sliders. You know, so uh, it it's clear that they weren't on top of things, at least the offense. Yeah, and and uh, Otani. Um at some point, like shifted into like, he's not going to go gas. I know he, he, I don't know if they were different pitchers, but they're all about the same speed, but he went off speed, you know, low eighties to your mean, I want to say three or four in a row. And he, he was lost on that too. I mean, I understand you got to probably sit red when a guy's throwing a hundred miles an hour, but uh, yeah, they, I mean, even, even, even the relievers, they did not seem to adjust uh, very well to get, much barrel on the ball, uh, which is unfortunate because this team, the one thing we thought it had in its back pocket was uh, offense and contact and runs. Yeah, that's right. And it was, you know, having Will being a former pitcher himself right next to me, uh, calling all the pitches that are coming <laughs> from the Angels, you know, you would, you would expect that, you know, these guys are professionals. They should be able to hit this if, if Will's also calling it too, because he was calling, Will was like, next pitch is going to be a 92 mile an hour. <laughs> that was exactly it. That was the one, and, and Luis Roberts swung and he missed. So, like, you know, it, yeah, it was, you expect a lot more out of these guys. Also, you know, you're four games in the season, sure, every game counts, or, or we're just getting started. You can argue either way, but, uh, but these guys are professionals and they are supposed to be one of the best teams in the American League. So there's obviously something they're going to have to do to kind of figure out uh, a way to make contact with the ball. Well, what did you think going in? Obviously there's all the hype and the excitement about Otani, uh, you know, playing uh, both, uh, both hitting and, and pitching in a way that isn't <laughs> the way you see it in the national league, meaning he is a threat and he's batting second. Um, but it seemed like going in, given the fact he pitched one game in the spring, had really had a rough run of it for a couple of years, including his, his injury that took him out for a year, uh, and, and made it a question whether he would even you know, go back to pitching. It certainly seemed like a, a scouting report would say, all right, this guy's got stuff, but 
I can't imagine they were prepared for him to be as good as he was, even though he was a little wild. Um, but you know, that said, okay. Uh, if, if you got to punt those five innings, which they didn't because they ended up having that bizarre error uh, ridden rally, but you'd think then you would be able to, to feast and get something together on the, uh, against the bullpen. Uh, so it was, a, you know, they didn't, obviously they didn't show up for you guys. They didn't show up for the national audience. They did not manage to somehow seize the narrative away from the angels on the broadcast, because unfortunately you delightfully live and in person watching the game did not have to withstand the ESPN broadcast, which was rough. We got a lot of texts about the Otani <laughs> love from the ESPN guys. And even, even during a Julie, wasn't there a Giolito, uh, yeah, and he was doing an interview that they were just talking about Otani the whole time. I mean, to me, there was a bunch of outrage, and that seemed to be a little bit of sensitivity on White Sox fans. Because I mean, let's face it, the guy had just uh, broke 100 miles an hour. He took a he took a fairly high fastball from Dylan Cease, who's not a soft to- tosser, and just turned on a 450 feet. Now I understand if Lucas had been listening to the entire broadcast already, he'd be rolling his eyes before he put, hit the headset on. But the idea that he asks, you know, that he was asked about Otani. Uh, I know uh, uh, Robbie Coletti was going bananas about it. Like, oh my God, I can't believe you're expecting. And, you know, a lot of people were ticked by that. And I thought, well, you know, this is, I mean, not that you're supposed to say, oh God, I hope he kicks our ass. But the idea that, you know, that was a, that was a terrible question to ask. I, I, you know, it was a horrible broadcast. That was certainly to me, not the low light, but yeah, the, it was uh, the idea <laughs> even in the fifth, when the, you know, the under and run rally is happening, the both announcers uh, Alex Rodriguez, of course, as well, um, are, uh, they're like, oh, you know, uh, j- just one more bat. It's like they were sort of, you would have thought this was an Angels home broadcast. It's like, oh, just, you know, he's just got to get one, through one more batter. And there are a lot of weird tells in the broadcast. So it was like, wow. I mean, if it was the Dodgers, if it was the Yankees, I get it. This is the Angels. Angels. I mean, you know, there's a lot of Otani love, but come on, that, that part was weird. Now, I, like, obviously the Angels are always, they've always been around, you know, they've, they've, but Will Will and I got there and we were both like, sometimes, and no disrespect, it's just because we're both from the Midwest and we focus on the AL Central majority of the time, but sometimes, or we turned to each other and we said that sometimes we forget about the Angels, that they're an actual team until we play them, until we realize, because, you know, they... They have in the last few years have maybe competed a little bit, but you know it's been the A's primarily that have uh, taken charge. You know, and just like we, because we also live in LA now, that the Dodgers are the number one team here. It is like, I guess, comparable to the White Sox and the Cubs. Um, but being there too, there was a there was a point I think right after that bizarre inning that White Sox fans, not even in our section, there were a lot in our section started chanting, let's go White Sox. And it was louder <laughs> than the let's go Angels, which is like baffling to, because there were so many White Sox fans there, so many. And it was like people were jumping up and down when the when the two runs scored off the Mikata strikeout. And it was just like, I, it was weird. That was the most, I think that was the most amount of White Sox fans I've seen that opposing team game. That's, yeah, that's, that's very odd, and that does not speak well to the to the excitement Angels fans have about their team. If they're showing up, let's even say, what, it still had to be two Angels fans for every Sox fan, right? I mean, yeah. the idea that the White Sox fans were that jazz in a game that they weren't, wasn't 15 nothing. They, they had practically got no hit, mm-hmm. uh, were somehow more vocal about like a drop third strike. 
you know, there was a there was a make the noise thing that came on the, the jumbotron, and it's it was it sounded awful because it was out. It was just it wasn't a lot of fans cheering, so it just sounded it sounded like a high school basketball game. Uh, I mean, that being said, there were there were yeah there were a lot of Angels fans there, but I, that was that was a lot. There were a lot of White Sox fans that really uh, clearly love baseball a little bit more than maybe the people that were there. Yeah, apparently yeah. the uh, at least the, the dropped third strike that led to the couple uh, to led to Moncada getting on and the and continuing the rally um, was obvious because I remember the ALCS. I was lucky. I was lucky enough to be there. Um, and you know, you're not you're not able to see anything, and you just see AJ Przinsky run to first base, and you're like, and everybody in the stands are like, what? you know, what's happening, you know, what's happening, no call on the field to make it very clear. And uh, I mean, that's sort of a magical moment. It's pretty rare, especially with the scoreboard telling you what to do all the time. And everybody now, I guess, I mean, that was 16 years ago. So everybody didn't have their phones to get replays or whatever uh, to be like, what's going on. And, you know, just, it's good because he's on first base. It seems like it's a good thing, but uh, you know, that's a strangely unforgettable moment. Cause it's, I mean, it's pretty rare in a game. where just like, what happened? Uh, and you know, that was one of them, at least there was obvious like, Oh, (laughs) I mean, yeah, it flew right behind him. I remember watching the AJ thing and then like, obviously you're super excited when that happens because it's your team, but also watching it now, I'm like, well, if they called it now, it would have, I would have been like, okay, you know, you're kind of like, Oh, that looked like it, it could have gone either way. You don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but it was so obvious and it was the even more frustrating thing. uh, I think about that whole situation is that like, that, that that was our number four hitter and he made no contact in the game maybe once he hit like popped the ball up if I remember correctly but obviously heads up baseball playing the ball runs behind he's able to make it to first for sure but but that was that was almost embarrassing like we're jumping for joy in the stand but we look like a minor league team like it was bad I mean it was like it was like we went the whole we went 100 like one in 161 like it looked like we were just like that was our first win ever yeah uh yeah it was it did not look good yeah if, if they had somehow won that game you probably needed to i mean of course they would have been celebrating but you know the smart play would have been just to sort of slink out of there like okay i'm we won and i'm happy i got the ticket stub but whew, that that's still an embarrassing effort it, yeah it's yeah it really was and and we're sitting there, like we had a couple Angels fans talk to us and they were talking about how, you know, they were like asking us if players were good and, and which is, you know, really cool. And that's a great thing about going back to live games too. You get to talk with fans and about players, but um, we want to be like, yeah, Luis Roberts, good. And then he would strike out on the slider. <laughs> like, you know, we want to be like, these guys are great. And then that, you know, that stuff would happen. Like, I, yeah, you know, I mean, it was kind of embarrassing to be like, yeah, this guy's really good. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. But like, you know, you know, I think our, the brightest moment probably would have been uh, the sinker from Aaron Bummer, which looked like his last season form, which was great. I mean, he was, he was moving. There were, there were some, I think the Angels fans were just as confused as White Sox fans to what Tony LaRusso was doing with, <laughs> with Dylan Seeds and with the bullpen. Um, personally, Will, I think Will and I both were kind of like, he should absolutely, Dylan C should finish his inning and get this third out. It seems weird that you would bring Cody Hoyer in. Uh, obviously, he gave up a home run, so, you know, but it was like, 
it looked, and, and it might have looked different on TV, but it looked to us, and we were sitting in the bleachers, but it looked to us that that Dylan Cease was maybe had found his groove and maybe was was towards the end of his rope, but could have gotten that last time. Yeah, I mean, at least he, I mean, this would have been a start in the past where he uh, might have taxed the bullpen for eight or uh, seven or eight innings. Uh, so the fact that he could even gather himself after that first inning and and finish strong i mean it's nothing to shout about but uh it, you know you got to look at it with with guys like cease unfortunately right now is you know that it could have been worse and yeah it did seem like he had some momentum going and here's the thing about tony uh that probably wasn't his most controversial uh decision with the bullpen in just that game so yeah, it was a rough series for everyone in, in, including the coaching staff and management, uh, which is too bad. I guess that's what it's going to be when you go one and three and you're ballyhooed and heralded to start the season. Uh, but we are going to uh, talk after the break about uh, sort of encouraging things to take out of that first series and discouraging ones. Uh, before we break, I will drop yet another useless piece of trivia about my experiences in Angel Stadium. I did go there once as a fan on the beat. Uh, the with well, a series I went there on the beat. I think I just went one year, maybe a couple of years. Uh, was Lucha Libre night. I was part of a Guinness World Record. Everybody wore Lucha Libre masks. Cool. So there was 20, 30,000, however many it was wearing them. Now, see, everybody else took theirs off. I, you know, I, I was dedicated to the bit. I put my glasses on over the mask and I pretty much, I want to say I, I at least had seven innings of Lucha Libre coverage for, for that game. So come on. If you're going to get a free mask, which I do still have somewhere, I should have actually pulled it out for an Angels-ish <laughs> yeah. broadcast, but that'll be next time. Uh, you know, you might as well, come on, rip the thing off. Come on, you know, stay dedicated to the bit. All right, Bill, we're going to take a break and uh, get back to talking more of the good and the bad of the White Sox so far this season in just a second. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey there, White Sox fans. We are back. It is Southside Sox podcast number 36. First time guest and co-host Bill Meinke with me. Uh, you usually see him and listen to him on the Big Blurt. He is also doing coverage for us on Wednesdays. He did that in spring training. He's taking that through the regular season. We'll probably see some other stuff from Bill as well, but definitely we're going to have that game recap coverage from him on Wednesday. So before we get back into the White Sox, Bill, let's talk a little bit about uh, how you came to the uh, the team as a fan and uh, then maybe what it's been like to sort of dip your toe into doing some of this writing and coverage of the team. Uh, yeah. So my dad 
is a huge White Sox fan, has been a huge White Sox fan since the day he was born. I believe his parents were White Sox fans. He grew up in the Quad Cities uh, in Western Illinois and uh, would travel to games. He would take the train about three hours in and, and would go to games, which is pretty cool. But um, yeah, so it just naturally, my brother, my younger brother and I have two older brothers that um, aren't really into baseball, but if they had to choose, they would choose the White Sox. Um, my younger brother and I played baseball growing up and we, we uh, always would go to White Sox games. And even if we wouldn't even sometimes go to White Sox games, I remember one time we went to when uh, there was a hurricane in Florida and the Marlins were playing uh, somebody at the cell. I think so. Right, I that's there, right. Too. Yeah. That's right. Um, but we, uh, my parents were White Sox fans. My mom's a White Sox fan too. And we just, uh, we would go to games constantly. And then around 05, my parents got season tickets and we just, They've had them ever since, and uh, anytime I go back to town, I obviously am there. I think my little brother has season tickets now, um, and they also we go to spring training. So that's pretty good timing around 2005 getting yeah. a season ticket. That's that's. Well, I want to I want to get some investment advice from your dad now. Who I, I like to ask this when we talk about like dads and generational stuff. Who was your dad's like favorite player growing up as a, as a lifelong Sox fan? Uh, Nelly Fox, oh, yeah, big yeah, fan yeah. of Nelly Fox, uh, has his jersey and everything. So he. And I remember we went to Sox Fest a couple of years too, and he freaked out over Billy Pierce too. He was a big <laughs> Billy Pierce fan. So uh, just, you know, seeing him light up like a kid too, what, like made me be like, this is great. This is really cool. And I'm like, my dad would talk, we're, you know, we're father and son. We have a great relationship. And, but I think a big thing uh, for us to talk about too is baseball. We find like it's a great connector. Uh, among many people, but we find that to be a, a way of just like, I don't know, we either release frustrations when the socks are bad or we talk about things that are good when the socks are good. So uh, it's really cool. Um, yeah, Nelly Fox was his, his big guy growing up. So. Yeah, that's a nice thing. You know, I had that with my dad as well. Chico Carascal was his favorite, uh, a little bit older, right. but uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a fun and unexpected perhaps as the, the younger of the pairing to see your older, your parent be as excited. I mean, my dad is just it impulse. So, I mean, he'll run the aisles, he'll scream and yell to an obnoxious degree, <laughs> uh, but yeah, to be able to sort of see it also through his eyes when they're winning uh, was funny. It's sort of an unexpected bonus to, to experience some of those highs. I guess the lows can be grisly too, but some of those highs, it's, it's always a sort of a kick to say like, oh man, wow, that, I'm supposed to be acting like that. How, yeah. what's, what's going on with that? So it was, it was interesting. It was, I remember, you know, when we were in high school or when I li- was living in the city uh, after college, I, we would go to games and we'd be sitting there. My dad would be arriving late because of work. So he would always come in, but he'd wear a suit and tie to work. And <laughs> he, he would always come in with his hat on and his jersey on, but also would leave his tie and stuff on. So it looked, it looked weird, but it also looked like there's a grown man that also looks like a boy. Yes, <laughs> you know? So. And if you yeah. need to go to, co- you need to break away to covers and then he just ripped the jersey <laughs> off and he's, hey, yeah. he's ready. He's good to go. <laughs> Uh, something happens right there he's there yeah so uh what's what's some of your uh uh background i uh, i think people are familiar by this time and in, in sort of watching the uh and and listening to the podcast that, that you and, and will as well both are both actors out in in la but uh you know your writing background and and has there been any sports writing before now or, or just what's the feeling about sort of getting into uh, doing some coverage of the white Sox? 
Yeah. So uh, obviously because of my parents, my dad, especially there has been, I have this, I have a journalism uh, mindset ingrained in me. So, you know, I've always been able to, to write pretty well because of that. Um, I, when I went to school, I really wanted to be a blues jazz musician for right away, which was a very weird thing coming out of high school for a kid to want to do that. But I went to Western Michigan University for a year and then ended up transferring to Columbia College uh, so I could be closer to uh, the White Sox. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, but I uh, got an internship in Second City and I got a free improv class and I kind of started my acting bug and, you know, from there continued acting, uh, you know, just commercial work around the city. I was involved as a, on the crew as uh, of Chicago PD for, for a few seasons. Um, and then I, along with acting in the crowd, I was a writer with this, with uh, a few groups there. So I'd write plays and would write, um, sketch comedy, but slowly over time, that journalism bug kind of came in too, and I would start to contribute and I've written a lot of stuff that I would, um, submit to or whatever. But, uh, as far as sports writing goes, it's only been within the last, last year and a half, last couple of years. I, um, uh, also being in LA, write for a, uh, and a uh, website that uh, represents the Kings. So the Kings, it's called kingsnation.com, mm-hmm. but it's uh, for the LA Kings for hockey. So that's kind of um, something I've been doing. And then because of my love of baseball and because Rob had also been involved right. with uh, Southside Sox, I was like, this is, uh, I'd love to, to help out and, you know, reaching out to you and you've been so gracious to help me out and give me an opportunity. It's, um, it's a dream come true because who wouldn't as a baseball fan and a writer who wouldn't take the opportunity to write about baseball yeah, for sure yeah no doubt about that and and we're lucky to have you and happy to have you so uh we're looking forward to Thank a lot you. of very successful wednesdays uh, hopefully you can like run the table on wednesdays we we might need you to because as we sag back into the actual white Sox ball club which is one and three although as we went on air i believe the Sox were up one nothing at least on Seattle in tonight's game. So let's hopefully they can at least take two, if not sweep, and come home with a winning road trip after a, a rough start. Uh, but let's start positively, Bill. Uh, optimism coming out of the first series. A, a little hard to find, but uh, there were some good things. It, it, certainly in it, all, all the games were close. Uh, obviously, stole eight, one win out of it. But uh what are you taking sort of encouragingly out of a one and three series? Uh, well, so I, there's a lot of people that think Tony LaRusso is messing with some, some things to try to find the right combination of guys that will get wins, which is fair, but obvious, but that's also what sprint training was for. Yeah. Um, you know, that's why we have that. Uh, I, I don't look at the last series against the Angels in a positive way. I think, Yes, we did get a win, but we won 12 to 8. And we gave up eight runs. And that's not okay. So, you know, we got we our our sticks came alive and I wish they would have come alive another game. But yeah. but you know, you I think there are there are, maybe there are some positives. Obviously, Yerman Mercedes goes nine for fourteen, um, which is great. But you you also wonder this guy that we don't know that has been with the White Sox for a few years and hasn't been up. Is he going to continue doing what he does? Um, Vaughn really didn't show up, and you're kind of hoping this guy would, would yeah. show up. Um, 
like I said before, Aaron Bummer's sinker is there, which is a positive. Um, but just watching the game live too last night, uh, I think that it was it was a weird. There was a weird feeling like we just don't necessarily have what we what we need to have, and maybe maybe Aloy is the key where he gets taken out. But the pot, I think the positive is that we know, we know that we need that we're not this bad. We don't need to be this bad. And I think everybody's going to start working on it. I mean, you could see you could see guys last night that were that were frustrated themselves. Luis Robert for sure. You could see it in center field. Um, he was also frustrated with the pitch calling uh, because he would always do this when there was a ball call when it should have been a strike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't want to introduce the third party issues like things like weather or the fact that you you weren't given seats in the front row and you were forced to sit a little bit further back in the outfield. But I think it would be remiss to ignore the fact that the umpires didn't have a particularly good series and the calls did seem to disproportionately uh, harm the White Sox, I believe on the, and, and forgive me, I don't even know what the site is, but there are definitely sites out there grading each uh, home plate umpire job. I believe the home plate ump in last night's game, although I guess it turned out it didn't matter because they lost by three, caught his calls or his missed calls uh, cost the White Sox two plus runs. And that's not going to help anybody. Now, again, you cannot point your finger at that, but you know, it's, it's, at some of that gray area stuff that is still fair to acknowledge because uh, this obviously wasn't a series, even though it was a, a, a three out of four loss, uh, not something you're going to say, Oh my God, this team doesn't have it. This is, I, you know, I'm quitting on this team. Tony does. I mean, there obviously everybody is due criticism. Uh, Larusa with being unfamiliar with the, uh, the, the replay, you know, timing and, and call, uh, some of the some of the moves, whether maybe a quick hook or some of the choices he made out of the bullpen, you could argue maybe the lineup, even though he pretty much declared going in, I want to give everybody some run. Um, you know that must just sort of be his his thing, and I, I'm not sure you can blame anybody for, for for wanting that, especially with some young guys in there. You want to definitely not have them sitting for two, three, four games before getting their first action. Um, and, you know, listen, the games were close. And the team, as you saw them getting uh, uh, frustrated, um, you know, wasn't lashing out. Uh, there wasn't um, behavior that made you think, geez, no, nobody's in control of this clubhouse. Uh, you know, certainly they seem to be binding together. And I got to say, even though it seemed eerily reminiscent of Ricky Renteria, not just in the poor bullpen management, but in the backing of the team, I mean, you saw La Russa without any hesitation you know, talk, even though it seemed uh, somehow uh, incongruent where he's saying, I'm, you know, very proud of the fight in this team, you know, after this heartbreaking loss. Uh, that is at this point in the season, I think what you want to hear the manager to say. And for a guy who, I don't know, could be doing a lot of other things. The fact that he is pretty much in the trenches there with his guys, as he's trying to really force stitch this, this um, chemistry with his team. I mean, he's, I got to say, I'm not, I was by no means in favor of the hire, but I do have to say, certainly off field, he's done about everything I would hope that he would. And I'm frankly surprised he seems to have tried to integrate himself as well as he has with this team. Yeah, because I know there was going to be, a, there was definitely a lot of talk about how he was not going to fit in, especially with Tim Anderson and the young guys. And they, they praise the guy now. They're, they talk highly, they speak highly of him. And yeah. it's kind of, it's cool to see. Um, yeah, was, the moves he's been making have been a little bit weird. Um, so you, you obviously wonder, like, okay, this is 
he's got to wipe off the rust a little bit and get to it. Um, yeah, it's definitely he's definitely trying to figure out. I think the groove of this team, and I think these players trying to figure out their own groove too. Um, I, I totally slipped my mind, but Michael Kopech, another great positive out of this series too, and Cliche, wow. because those guys, those guys are the future, and they are eventually eventual starters. And to see them perform the way they did, just in the bullpen, just like. I'm excited not just for the future of the season, but also for the next few years to come. Yeah, my eyes aren't completely sharp, and I def- definitely don't have a scout's eye. But when you compare uh, Garrett Crochet, who seems to just, when he chucks it, it's just whoosh, you know, fast, like something out of, you know, Major League or a Bugs Money cartoon. Kopech has that strange thing where it almost seems like about halfway to the plate, it picks up. Um, it's really scary. I'm frightened for the batters because I mean, not that what crochet does isn't just as scary, but the idea that it's sort of like, it seems like it's gaining velocity. I don't know if that's like some kind of like rising fastball effect or whatever it is. It just freaks me out when I see it. And it's really nice to see. Yeah. Watching them. I'm like, it reminds me of playing wiffle ball when I was younger (laughs) and you would throw the fastball and then it would just, and you're like, what? You're like, how did you get that movement? Like, that's great. It, it, his stuff moves so well. And so crochets. They both, they're both uh, ta- very young, talented guys. And it was surprising to see Crochet come up as fast as he did and just show up last year. And, and you know, but, but the good thing is, like, I think the, the guys they have in the bullpen will also help them. Bummer, first two years in the Sox was not great found a couple pitches and now he's great and just for them to be able to also teach the younger guys about adapting uh is huge so it um it might surprise you to hear bill that i did go undrafted in the major league draft but had there been a wiffle ball draft i might have stood especially if it was 40 rounds i think i would have stood a chance of of being drafted okay i um i can i am if I remember correctly, I'm con- and I am convinced, but my brother disagrees, but we had a wiffle ball league in our friend's backyard. I'm positive I threw a perfect game, and he says absolutely not. But I'm absolutely positive it was a perfect game. I don't think you forget stuff like that. I'm, no. I'm on Team Bill on this one. I'm pretty sure you're Thank not going to forget a perfect game. Come on, bro. My, I was Jeez. playing with the wind. There was a slight gust in the air, and I was using it to my advantage. And you started a ball behind a guy's ear by three feet and it cracked across the plate. That's sweet. I think you yeah. stood a chance of getting drafted too, but you might not have been aware of it, but you yeah. might've stood a chance too. Um, uh, we've talked a lot about discouraging, but I will say one thing, you know, there's, there's been frustration um, with the pitching staff in general. And I think sometimes it's a little too easy to let the bullpen off the hook when, uh, because I'm going to be quick to point out, Hey, you had four pitchers and one made it to the fifth inning, I believe. Uh, and that is not going to help no matter how strong your bullpen, that's not going to help anything out, especially just breaking the season. But at the same time, I mean, they, they weren't, the bullpen wasn't asked to put out fires in the second inning either. And they weren't, um, they weren't super taxed because they have so many arms really. I mean, it seemed like there were some weird protection moves and non-protection moves. Evan Marshall went back to back, even though he, he saw, I think just three batters in the game, then he went back out and that's the game where he got knocked up a little bit. Uh, but I mean, this is, (laughs) The, the rotation is what it is, and it's not strong. There's no way to get around that. It's not a strong rotation. Let's hope it could be a strong rotation, but it definitely isn't. Um, and so, unfortunately, you need this strong bullpen to sort of patch some of the holes in that rotation. Hopefully, uh, if Carlos Rodon can be 
uh, uh, the guy, uh, that's going to do a lot to help. But even still, you've got Lance Lynn being very inefficient in the spring and even in his first start. Uh, Dallas Keuchel, I'm not sure what we're going to get with him this year because he had this truncated spring and he did not look good in his first start. So fingers crossed for his second start in Seattle. But you know, we're not going to be able to use an excuse of, well, geez, the bullpen's going to get taxed because the, the starters aren't going long enough because that's that's what they're there for. And that's why it's so stacked. That's why apparently we we decided to spend on a closer to make a strong bullpen devastatingly strong. Yeah, uh, it was it's it was weird to see him pull like we like I said before, Will and I were wondering why he's going out for the fifth inning. Um, and it it was strange to see because we would, we would, we're right by the bullpen for both teams because uh, the Angels Stadium has bullpens right next to each other. But just watching them, they would get up, they would stretch, and you're like, okay, maybe, maybe one of these guys is coming in, going to do some long relief. But then they would all sit right back down. It was very, it was very weird. And it was like playing mind games with us because we're like, okay, we're going to see Ruiz come in, and then Ruiz would sit down. Or like, you know, he eventually did. But, but it was, it was, so weird. And, and I mean, I agree with you. I don't think, you know, Lynn hasn't been great. And I know Dallas Keuchel is the same form he had last year, but, uh, but who knows? And, and I, the two guys, I think this really relies on now is, is Dylan season is Carlos Rodon. That's those are the guys that are going to push us a few games over, hopefully the twins. And if they can't show up, then I think we're kind of uh, screwed in that towards the end of the season. It's a little, it was, it's super frustrating because our biggest, one of our biggest team strengths, if not, if not our biggest, is our bullpen, right? And so when you have our starting pitchers, who uh, I, I think at least three of them have thrown complete games before, um, they can't go five innings. And Tony's trying to save their arms, but but also that, like we're gonna have to rely on these these twelve, thirteen guys that are sitting out in the outfield, you know. Uh, and if we use them too soon, like you don't want to you don't want to overuse Crochet and, and Kopech because they have young arms. They might be starting. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, seriously. Use them, Tony. You might need them. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. I think there was a little discussion on on one of the game threads about how, you know, uh, Lance Lynn had pitched like 800 games in a row. He'd thrown at least 100 pitches, and Tony took him out, I think, with 99 or took him out short of that. I'm like, okay, well, fine. But first of all, it's the first start. And second of all, then then don't be struggling to get through five innings and pushing triple-digit, you know, pitches. And this is sort of simple. I mean, it's not like he struck out. Uh, 15 guys and so his pitch count somehow was was getting up uh these guys i mean i wouldn't say it's nibbling either but you know ethan katz has got i mean we're gonna have to do like just a bait like a like a control basics or something because uh it's all right if maybe a couple of these guys can only get us through five or six because the bullpen is so tough but when it's like four guys that are doing it you know we're dead yeah you know i was thinking about that last night too i was like watching watching sees pitch you watching all the guys pitch really you were kind of like uh just throw it in the strike zone like whether it's just a fastball or whatever just throw it in there because if you if you think you're going to lose this game which was that was kind of the vibe towards the end of the game even though they had tied it um towards the second half of the game you're kind of like oh the energy out is like completely out of the white socks here and you know so they haven't been able to hit or anything like that but if you're just if you're you have that mindset at least put it in the area where an out can be made. And I think that's one thing that they're missing. They're not, they were not trusting their stuff and they were, and if they did trust their stuff, they threw it out of the zone. And grant, again, the, the umps didn't do us any favors, but 
still, it's kind of like, you know, just, again, if we're going to lose this game, put it where they can hit it. Yeah. Hopefully they hit it right at uh, Madrigal or something. Yeah. Right? And, people, and people are going to ding me because it's like, well, yeah, if if, uh, if Luis Robert doesn't, uh, you know, uh, have a ball bounce off his head, well, then Lance wins pitch council. And I get it. I mean, obviously, it's, it's things aren't going to go perfectly. I'm, I'm not killing him for it. But the truth is, you got to pitch around some of that stuff, too. And I know whatever the cliche is like, pitching to contact or what, you know, whatever dumb thing that is. And granted, it's not like the defense has given perhaps the starters the most confident to, to sort of pitch the contact, but at some point versus getting yanked from the game, you might think, all right, let's see. I mean, I, you don't want to just throw a home, home run ball. Okay. I get it. You know, and I right. can't pretend to be in the mind of a major league pitcher, but you think at some point, listen, you got, you got to get it close enough to, I mean, I don't know if the whole thing about velocity and the spin rate is getting uh, this momentum in the game where it's just like, you just got to kill every batter. But I mean, I think there's something to be said for lasting longer in the games, uh, uh, you know, trusting your defense, even though again, perhaps the White Sox didn't earn that trust in the first series. And I mean, the truth is it's just not sustainable for these guys, even just to get five innings, that's still going to tax this bullpen, even, even with the arms they have. So I certainly hope this sort of like trial run first way through the rotation uh, is just that. And, and we see much longer starts from here. Cause that to me coming out of it is, is one of the more troubling things. Yeah. And I mean, there wouldn't, I will admit that Dane Dunning came up in conversation multiple times last night about, you know, if this Lynn thing doesn't work out and Dane Dunning is a great pitcher, or at least it was the pitcher he was last year. He had a three some ERA, right? So like we, you know, that's a guy that like, could have been a number five or number four. Star. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to say, okay, 2021, those guys are equal. But the truth is, if Lynn is going to struggle to get through five, listen, Dane Dunning could have struggled to get through five. Right. You know, totally. and he probably would have done it maybe a little more sufficient because he had to. He didn't have as much of a leash to, uh, you know, with a younger arm to, uh, and, and recovering arm to go, you know, 100, 110 pitches. So, yeah, we, we had that. So let's hope what yeah. we got and what we gave away, what we got is something that's going to get us you know, 10%, 20% better picture. He doesn't have to be a Cy Young finalist. You know, he doesn't have right. to win 20 games or strike out 200 guys, but four and two thirds. Yeah, I'm the not with that either. The one thing throughout this whole last series that I noticed is that that our pitches have been up. Like last night when Dylan gave up his home run to Otani, that was at the Lurkers. He threw that right in the middle. He threw that right in the middle, and that's why Otani. But our pitches have been up. And, and last night, the Angels, seeing it live, I think Robert Abreu, um, anybody else that struck out, their their pitches were all towards the plate. They were all down at the bottom, and they were throwing low. And I think that was a big thing, too. I think our guys can't hit low, uh, and our pitchers are throwing high. So that doesn't spell uh, – I mean, it spells disaster. It doesn't yeah. – it's not safe at all. No, it well, it, yeah, it got us one out of four, so – yeah, let's hope that translates. And listen, Seattle ought to be, and I mean, I'm not aware of the score of the game. So, and of course this is publishing tomorrow. So, Hey, it's a winner loss. Let's just say what a game by the White Sox, man. They really put it back together. Bill's really nice to see the offense come together the way they did. I feel a lot more relieved. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This season's <laughs> going to be great. Masterful. Hey, the two and three White Sox are ready to sweep that series. So let's do it. But uh, yeah, let's hope that they can get healthy on Seattle because they have to. I mean, let's face it. Seattle is a team that you need to get healthy off of, even on the road in a really breakneck first week, just sort of dealing with the adjustment to some, some injuries and some guys getting in there for the first time. Hey, that can also mean no fear, uh, no hesitation. That's what you mean. Certainly did for uh, eight at-bats uh, plus. So, you know, I, I hope uh, if there's any team to get healthy off of, well, let's not wait to get back home. 
uh, with all the, the hullabaloo there, um, even playing weaker teams, uh, you know, let's get back over 500 because, hey, you can't afford to, you know, you can't afford, they've already shipped a couple games out of those uh, famous Hawk Harrelson 60 that you're going to, you know, they're going to go yeah. either way. Well, we've already had a couple go the other way, so you can't afford to have too many of those run out of the hourglass, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we don't do any famous little uh, like trivia jazz or let's talk about football or soccer or whatever the hell you and uh, uh, Coletti do. So we just wind this thing up. It's a point and shoot podcast. But thank you for for hopping on. This is Bill Mikey, who's our regular Wednesday uh, writer. And I'm sure we'll find reason to have him do some some other stuff here. And then, in fact, you're going to get to know him a little bit better on Wednesday for his coverage because he'll have his Meet the Players article running as well. So you'll learn what you didn't learn here in this podcast. You get a couple other pieces of uh, trivia and a photograph, all sorts of stuff you can clip and save about Bill and put on your wall of uh, Southside Sox uh, legends. So uh, look forward to that on Wednesday. And of course, um, you know, not to um, bury uh, your coverage, Bill, but of course, Thursday's a big day, uh, home opener so we're going to be running a pregame podcast postgame podcast just like we did for the angels uh opener on the road uh so we're going to have again breakneck ridiculous wall-to-wall um kill the managing editor uh coverage uh, continuing through at least thursday uh so look forward to that as well but that's only after you've read and digested and um broken down bill's coverage of what will certainly be the third game in a sweep of the seattle mariners We recorded it, so it It has to happen now. It's going to happen now. So way to go, White Sox. Congratulations. Way to bounce back from Anaheim. That's awesome. And thank you, Bill, uh, along with Will in absentia for being a, uh, for, for being a couple, first couple staff members actually get to game. I don't know how many more of us might still this year, but uh, you know, you broke the tape, you got in there, you, you know, you you walk away 0-1, which is lame, but at least you were there reported from the game and uh, and now we're hearing more about it uh, uh from you here and now yeah yeah thanks so much for having me all right everybody again big week of course uh all leading up to thursday so hopefully on thursday we'll be looking at the winning white Sox team moving up in the division and pushing for first place in a victorious home opener we'll have wall-to-wall coverage on thursday but of course we always have wall-to-wall coverage here at Southside Sox because we're idiots we don't know what else to do we just keep on working 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 for you so thanks for watching thanks for listening and thanks for reading and for bill mikey he'll be back don't worry he'll be back uh this is brett valentini and uh keep on listening